That was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> All right, our gospel text is from Luke chapter 6, verses 20 to 23 and 27 uh, to 31. And I'll invite you to listen uh, for the word of the Lord this morning. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets." But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love how unpredictable children are. I thought they would be fighting because everybody wanted to do it, and I was ready to tell them, you can do it after the service. You just never know. Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. How many of you have been on the new roundabout at the corner of Mad River and Alex Bell? Good, good amount of you. Well, I really like it because I live on Vienna Parkway up Mad River and so I was having to face traffic all the time and it flows by so much more smoothly. However, when I first moved to New Jersey, I found that the roundabouts there were sometimes not made quite as well and could be a little tricky, tricky especially as you got closer to New York City during rush hour. One time I entered just a little too close for comfort of the person who was already in the loop and he got so mad that he followed me for a long time coming within inches of my bumper as he continued honking his horn sometimes flashing his lights and shaking his fist at the time there were a lot of reports about road rage and this guy had me pretty nervous finally i got to a place in the highway where he passed me and I was stunned by the messages on the back of his vehicle. He had a Christian fish symbol, a love your neighbor sticker, <laughs> and even one that said something about kindness. Wow, what a hypocrite, I thought. But the truth is that any of us can easily forget ourselves and fall back on that human tendency to do quite the opposite of loving our neighbor, especially when they upset us or irritate us, much less when they truly hurt us. 
Jesus tells us, commands us, to love our enemies. It's probably one of the most unpopular things he ever said. You may not think you have any enemies, and I don't either if I think of enemies like an evil cartoon character or a bad guy on a Western. Yet in the context of Scripture, an enemy is anyone who stirs up feelings of anger or hostility in us. I bet you can think of some folks who fit in that category. Speaking of anger and hostility, I find it interesting that this text appears in the lectionary right around the time of the midterm elections. Talk about people making enemies. While our country has always had debates and differences of opinion, there was a time when people could agree to disagree without falling into some of the patterns that we see today. Each side of the political aisle demonizing the other, ridiculously false stories put out on social media, and people eager to pass on the lies or the conspiracy theories. Some, new channel, some news channels that brazenly take one side or the other and twist the narrative of the news stories for their own perspectives. And folks painted as the enemy if they even think differently than you do. As we approach this holiday season of Thanksgiving and Christmas, I remember from recent years people sharing with me as their pastor that there are so many families out there that are so polarized that they can't even bring themselves to all get together. Many who do are worried if they're going to make it through without any fallout. Jesus' teaching about loving our enemies is a difficult one, but maybe we need it more than ever these days. After all, Jesus wasn't playing around. He meant what he said. He doesn't give caveats like love your enemy if they sufficiently apologize. Love your enemy if they come over to your point of view, which of course is right, if they beg for your forgiveness and prove that they have turned over a new leaf. Jesus simply says, love your enemies, do good to them, bless them, and pray for them. Now Jesus wasn't naive. He knew how hard it was to love somebody who has harmed you or put you down or bullied you or made your life miserable. And he's not suggesting that you take that kind of thing submissively without standing up for yourself. On the surface of it, that turn the other cheek comment sounds exactly like you are inviting abuse by the other person. Yet if we consider the customs of the first century, we find that it was actually a statement of protest or resistance. You see, when somebody slapped you on the cheek, especially someone in power like a Roman official, it was usually a backhanded slap intended to insult you, to put you in your place. When you turned and offered the other cheek, it was like saying, if you meant to diminish me by that gesture, it didn't work, buddy. Go ahead and do that to my other cheek. It doesn't make me any less of a person. Jesus doesn't tell us to take abuse, doesn't say that we have to like someone or to approve of what they've done, much less allow them to get away with their atrocities. What we have to do is love them. Look beneath the mistakes 
or even the grip of evil in them to see the frail yet God-created human being within. In 2016, Muslims in a small mosque in the little town of Fort Smith, Arkansas, showed us how to do this. That October, a 20-year-old young man named Abraham met up with a friend. Filled with hate and fear, they sprayed graffiti all over the mosque, including swastikas and profanities and comments like, go home, we don't want you here. Even profanities about Allah, which is simply the Arabic name for God. The whole thing was captured on a security camera, and the two men were facing felony charges of six years in prison and fines of $3,000 each. Although some of their friends put together a little money for bail, there was nowhere near enough, and they would be locked up for a long time, even awaiting trial. Abraham sent a letter of apology to the mosque. Then an unexpected, beautiful thing happened. After talking about it and praying about it, the president and the social director of the mosque agreed that they wanted to forgive him and withdraw the charges. The problem was that the prosecutor was still determined to go ahead with the case, wanting to make an example of them. How stunned Abraham was when a prison guard told him that the members of the mosque had decided to pay the $1,700 still needed for him, for his bail, because they wanted him to be able to spend Christmas with his family. The funds were originally supposed to go for renovations on the mosque, but they felt there was a more important opportunity here to love their neighbor. Imagine how their action changed that young man's heart. Imagine how many intolerant, angry, hate-mongering people were affected by seeing the mercy and forgiveness offered by those they had wronged. Those neighbors of another faith tradition gave us a good example of what Christ calls us to do. Now, Jesus could have stopped after just telling us to love our neighbor. Why does he have to add that part about loving our enemies? Because he wants us to see just how far that command to love our neighbor goes, how truly radical it is. In 1 Peter, we are to, I'm sorry, in 1 John, we are told, those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. We have no problem loving our neighbor when they are easy to love, when they haven't hurt us, when we have a lot in common, but that wouldn't require us to grow in faith. Writer Richard Rohr explains, loving and greeting only those who love you, Jesus said, is simply a mechanism of bondage. In keeping you in a small world of warm fuzzies, but actually inoculating you from the often dark and daring world of real love. Friends, the kind of love to which Jesus calls us is not about our feelings for one another. It's about actions, actions that reflect who God is. It means acting in ways that show God's love, whether we yet feel that love or not. Leaning into God's grace becomes more than empty words, and we discover that loving our enemies becomes transformative in their lives and in ours. 
So if we are commanded to love our enemies, as Ali asked, how do we do that? Well, instead of starting with somebody as hard to think about loving as Vladimir Putin or some random terrorist we don't know, we start where we are with the people in our lives. And we start with a good look at ourselves. Usually hatred or anger is more about the heart of the person feeling those emotions than it is about the subject of them. Writer Anne Lamott has said, hate, chronic anger, grudges, and resentment are like drinking rat poison, then sitting around waiting for the rat to die. You are destroying your own soul. We pray for our enemies, why? Because prayer changes us. In and of ourselves, we don't have the power to love and forgive our enemies. It is a God thing. People tend to either say, I can do this or I can't do that, but we don't have to come down so hard on either side. Like everything in our faith journey, it is a process. We're inspired when we hear stories like that of Charletta Evans. She had gone to pick up her niece and left her six-year-old and three-year-old in the car just for a minute as she went to the door. And before she knew what happened, the air erupted in gunfire. It turned out that gang members had been confused about the target car. The bullets were meant for another car, but instead 20 bullets hit her car, including one that fatally took the life of that three-year-old baby, Carson. It is hard to even imagine the depth of her devastation and heartbreak. The police identified the shooter as Raymond Johnson, a 15-year-old. He was sentenced to life behind bars with no possibility of parole. Now, you might think that would be the end of it, but for Charlotta, healing closure wouldn't happen when her son's killer was given a life sentence. It could only come through the forgiveness in her own heart. Now, it didn't happen overnight. For her, it was a journey as well. It took 17 years until she finally went to the prison to see Raymond the 15-year-old who was then 33. Charletta knew that if she didn't forgive him, she would never be able to find peace or to even be fully present for her remaining son. When she offered her forgiveness, Raymond clutched his chest with uncontrollable sobs. Then Charletta did something she never dreamed she would do. She hugged him. She realized, that, she realized that he didn't have the care of parents growing up and that many factors go into a young person turning to the life of a gang. She also knew that Raymond already had a huge hole in his heart for taking her son's life. She continues to communicate with him about twice a week. Sometimes she even puts a little money in his prison account so that he can get some of the basic needs met. All of this was not to diminish her dead son's life. It wasn't to say it's okay to let a murderer off the hook. She had looked beneath the surface to see the humanity of a 15-year-old troubled teen 
who did a horrible thing. She had mercy. And tapping into the love in her heart instead of the hate saved her. It's hard for us to imagine that kind of love because we can struggle so hard even to forgive the slightest harm done to us. Jesus isn't asking us to gloss over the pain and reality of the hurt people can cause us and others in the world. Superficial love doesn't cut it. Where we begin is prayer, asking for God's help and guidance because we can't do it alone. God wants for us the freedom of a purely loving heart. And though it may be a lifelong journey, it starts with one step. Thanks be to God for our companion along the way, Jesus Christ, who helps us to take that step again and again. Amen.